0: Our first reading comes from Psalm 61, which is on page 520 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 61. God, hear my cry. Pay attention to my prayer. I call to you from the ends of the earth when my heart is without strength. Lead me to a rock that is high above me, for you have been a refuge for me, a strong tower in the face of the enemy. I will live in your tent forever and take refuge under the shelter of your wings. God, you have heard my vows. You have given a heritage to those who fear your name. Add days to the king's life. May his years span many generations. May he sit enthroned before God forever. Appoint faithful love and truth to guard him. Then I'll continually sing of your name, fulfilling my vows day by day.
1: The second reading is from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. We, who are still alive and are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Paul. Good everybody, my name is Daniel, uh, I'm on staff here, I focus on our youth ministry uh, and I have the pleasure of uh, opening the word with you today, but first, how about I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, uh, we thank you that it comforts us in grief. Uh, we pray that today we'll be uh, reassured, that we'll be comforted, uh, that we'll be encouraged. Uh, Please help me as I uh, lead us, as I open the word with us, uh, may this time uh, make us fall in love with you and may I uh, magnify you. Amen. Our passage this evening is one of great hope uh, in light of grief and death. Uh, As I've sat with people preparing for this sermon, I've realized how important it is for us as Christians to grieve. I used to think Christians uh, shouldn't grieve, that we just have to be happy and chirpy all the time. Um, Maybe you're the opposite, uh, and and you're from a culture or a family where grief is very public. Uh, It's very sort of in your face. It's very open. And no matter how you grieve, the word tonight wants to remind us and comfort us of the great and certain hope that we have in Christ. My most recent experience, where I was really dwelling uh, on this uh, this this truth, that's in one Thessalonians Uh, four, was last year. This time last year, I got back from youth. It was a Friday night, and I had three missed calls from my mum and dad. Uh, They were driving into the night uh, because my grandma had had a stroke. Uh, They longed to get to her uh, because, like her mum and her dad before her, I mean, they had both died. So. Grandma's mum and dad had both died of strokes, and mum and dad wanted to get there uh, to tell grandma of the hope that they had. In the following days, as I pondered my grandmother and my interactions with her, I longed to know whether she had hope in the face of death, and if she did have hope, I wanted her to know it uh, clearly and crisply, not believing anything untrue about it having no doubts that those in Christ do not have to fear. I'm sure many of us have been in a similar situation, a near-death experience of a loved one. Maybe in your case, a loved one has passed away and it wasn't them who needs to be reminded of the hope, but you. How well do you know your certain hope? Does it comfort you? We know from Acts that, Paul was just with the Thessalonians for a few weeks uh, before he was chased away, and it's implied from the passage that he'd taught them somewhat uh, about the resurrection, but it wasn't clear. They were still unsure, uncertain. They still didn't have a full, comprehensive idea of what that looked like. They'd never been to a Christian funeral. They didn't know what happened to Christians who died. Maybe they thought uh, Christians who died were lost. Maybe they thought that Christians who died had lost their inheritance. Maybe they thought you just have to survive a few years until Christ returns, and then you'll get the glorious riches of Christ. Can you imagine being in their shoes at a fellow uh, believer's funeral, thinking that they'd lost their awesome inheritance? It would bring such uh, grief and confusion and fear. They did not know their certain hope. They were not comforted by it. So I ask the question again, do you know your certain hope? Does it comfort you? For a time will come, if it hasn't come already, where death will plague you or a loved one. And a time will come if it hasn't already where uh, believers around you will be in a time of crisis where death will be so real for them. Do you know your certain hope? And how will you use it to comfort those around you? I believe this text tonight has two points that it wants to comfort us with. Firstly, be comforted, for our hope is certain in grief and death. And secondly, be comforted, for our hope is certain as the Lord Himself will come. So, firstly, from verses 13 and 14, be comforted. Our hope is certain in grief and death. Throughout our Thessalonians, Paul is warm, he's pastoral, and that continues in this section. In verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. He knows they're shaken. He knows that there's a half-truth that they're believing. And later in verse 18, he says that all that I've just said, everything in verse 13 to 18, everything we're reading tonight, use these words to encourage one another. The purpose of this whole section is that they'll be uh, encouraged and comforted and that they'll comfort and encourage one another in light of the grief that they're experiencing. Grief, it it feels like a a hole in your heart that you feel will never be filled. It's like a gray cloud over your head that never goes away. C.S. Lewis says that grief is like a man with a freshly amputated leg. After the operation, either the wounded stump heals or the man dies. If it heals, the fierce, continuous pain will stop. Presently, He'll get back his strength and be able to stump about on his wooden leg. He is, for all intensive purposes, Lewis says, gotten over it. But he will probably have recurrent pains in the stump all his life, and perhaps pretty bad ones. And he will always be a one-legged man. There will hardly be any moment where he forgets it, whether he's bathing or dressing, sitting down, getting up, Even lying in bed will all be different. His whole way of life will be changed. All sorts of pleasures and activities will just have to be written off. Lewis says of himself after the death of his wife, at present I'm learning to get about on crutches. Perhaps I shall presently be given a wooden leg, but I shall never be a biped again. That's what grief is like. It's a a long process. However, between Christians and non Christians, it should be different. Verse 13 says, Do not grieve like the rest of mankind to have no hope. What does it look like to have no hope? Probably if you go down the street and you ask just some old mate that you meet, Uh, Hey, mate, uh, what are you hoping for? Are you hoping for anything? He'll say, oh, mate, for sure. Hoping for a promotion at work. I'm hoping that my kids turn out all right. He's looking forward. Hope's giving him purpose. And yet, worldly hope, it has this sort of element of uncertainty to it. Well, I hope to get the promotion, but I might not. I, I hope to get to the airport on time, but I might be late. Hope is... Uh, so necessary for well-being, and, it, and the lack of it uh, is, is so unhealthy that often when a hope dies, we think of another hope to replace it. But when it comes to death, the world's hope is so uncertain, it throws out cliche statements like, oh, they're in a better place, or they're at peace now. And it hurts to say, but their hope is unfounded. It's It's false. And when you're without certainty in the, in, in the face of death, if when you're without hope, grief will be so severe. To use the illustration from before to the world, uh, the amputated leg will never heal. There is no resolution to the issue, no firm hope. Brothers and sisters, we have to tell the world of our hope, for without it, they are so hopeless. And in comparison, Christian hope, it's still looking forward like the world's hope, and yet there is no uncertainty about it. We can be completely certain that all things broken will be made new, that all tears will be wiped away and grief will be resolved. Our hope is different because it's based on the truth, a promise, a solid, certain, and true promise. That's the difference in our hope, the foundation that it's built upon doesn't mean that we're not to grieve, but rather we mustn't grieve like the world. Australians, especially from where I am in rural Queensland, we have this idea that we must remain emotionless. We must remain stoic, have a stiff upper lip. But Australians, we need to know that we can grieve. We need to know that emotion isn't a bad thing. It's not to be ignored or suppressed, but instead shaped by God's word. Grief isn't non-Christian. You aren't a bad Christian if you grieve. Jesus grieved. In John 11, at the death of Lazarus, he wept. He wept because because even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he wept and, and he was full of grief because it's a right response, isn't it? It's a right response to death. Death is a twisting of God's good creation. It's a loss of relationship. Grief is a mourning and an acknowledging that the world is not as it should be. We mustn't privatise our grief thinking that we can only express hope. You can't, you, you can't go around grief. You have to go through it. You can suppress it, but it will catch up with you in the most surprising of times. When you go to a family gathering and you see that empty seat, when you drive past a cafe and you think of how you used to go there with that person, grief will come flooding back. Grief is okay. Okay. And on top of that, we need to remind each other that we're allowed to grieve, to grieve together. If we're to apply these words of encouragement, we have to sit with people and pray with people when necessary remind them of bite-sized biblical truths, like a sick person can only stomach uh, little crackers or Vegemite soldiers. So too is it a good thing to someone in grief to to give them a bite-sized bit of Bible, a word A verse, as those bite-sized bits are nourishment, they are gold to a hungry and grieving soul. For many, that grieving will continue until Christ's return. For at Christ's return alone will that separation be resolved. At that point, we know that we will be reunited with our loved ones. That is our hope. It says it in verse 14. What does it say? What's our hope? For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Isn't it interesting how it uses different language uh, for what's happening to Jesus who dies, and yet those in Christ have fallen asleep? Why is that? It's because, excuse me, uh, it's because Christ's death, it was distinctly different than what we may experience if we die. Christ's death was the the punishment for our sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Christ's death was God's wrath being poured out upon him. It's the wrath that we rightly and justly deserve. And yet Christ took that. He died that death for us. A guy called Leon Morris says, Because Christ endured the full horror implied in that death, he has transformed death for his his followers, transformed it into sleep. Nowhere in the New Testament does it use that idea of sleep to what Christ went through, only for those who were in Christ. Death no longer has the sting it once had, friends. Christ has completely taken the punishment upon himself, for those who believe. So now for us, death is temporary. Like sleep, it has an end. We will very much bodily rise again, very much alive. May we know this truth. I think many of us do, uh, but I think, uh, and I want to encourage you, to let it shape you. Let it shape your expectations of what death will look like. Uh, In my uni days, I had to get my wisdom teeth out, uh, and I don't know about your situation, but when I told people, oh, I'm going to get my wisdom teeth out, every man and his dog had some, like, horror story of, like, oh, this, my mate, he went and got his wisdom teeth out, oh, barely has a face left, or, like, something just ridiculous, so I was, I was thinking, all right, from these other people's experiences, from their expectations of what it looks like to get the wisdom teeth out, I was worried, right? I was concerned. My expectation was that it could all go wrong, that I could end up looking like some Bond villain with half my face missing. And, in your, and yet, uh, in reality, that just in case you're having your wisdom teeth out, have hope. Uh, it turned out pretty well for me. Um, i Woke up at the end of the surgery not even realising that I'd had the surgery. It was great. Mum took me home, gave me some yummy pumpkin soup. Uh, I slept for days and the drugs, I think, uh, probably meant that I was laughing, you know, most of the time. But if my expectation in the lead up had shaped my reality of what was to come, I would have been viewing that uh, future event totally differently. I would have been comforted and reassured. So I ask again, have you let this certain hope sit with you? Has it shaped how you view death? Uh, I'm not sure about you guys, but when I was reading uh, verse 14, a question came to my head. So the verse says, uh, God will bring, in the second half, it says, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And the question I ask is, what happens for Christians between when we die and when Christ returns? Something's going on here. And there's a few views, even people on the staff team have different views. Um, But I think the most convincing view is something called uh, the intermediate state. Uh, It's where it says that when we die, that our soul will go uh, to be with the Lord. It'll be intimate, and it'll be certain, and it'll be instantaneous. And then when Christ returns... That our souls will come with Him to whatever remains of our bodies, and our bodies will be made perfect, and we'll have our resurrection bodies, and we'll, we'll uh, be with the Lord bodily and, and certainly. It's a certain, glorious view of what will come. It's a hope that we want to remind each other of. Like verse 18 says. Remind each other of that hope. And as you sit with people, and whether it, when you're with people who are grieving or whether you're far from them, may these truths shape how we uh, pray uh, and support our brothers and sisters. So be comforted. and Comfort one another, for our hope is certain in grief and death. Our second point, uh, much shorter, is be comforted, for our hope is certain as the Lord himself will come. Be comforted, Our hope is certain as the Lord Himself will come. As Paul continues in verse 15, uh, he gets ready to emphasize a point. Uh, It says, According to the Lord's word, we tell you this. He knows that there's been confusion in the church, so he's invoking uh, the strongest uh, authority that he has, Jesus' teaching. These are the Lord's words. And what does he say? Verse 15, he says, We who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. There's no disadvantage for those who are in Christ. Uh, those who have died will miss out on nothing. They, you see how it said, uh, they will certainly not proceed. It's this strong negative. Paul only uses it four times in any of his writings. There's absolutely no advantage for those who will be still alive. We can live now with hope that our brothers and sisters who have passed away will miss out on nothing. They will totally experience the, the, the beauty of God's return. How good will it be? And in, actually in the second half of verse 16, it says, in fact, uh, the dead in Christ, not only will they not be disadvantaged, but they will rise first. First although in the grand scheme of things, we'll all be together with the Lord. I don't know about you, uh, but when I read verse 16, it's something that I long for. Uh, I hope for when I watch the news, when I see the horrors on there, when I know that there's a hard week coming or a hard month coming or a hard conversation has to be had, I long for verse 16 where it says, The Lord himself will come from heaven with the loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. It's this awesome imagery of the Lord himself descending. It's not an intermediary or an officer or a representative that's coming, but the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend in majestic glory and with power. He's coming. He's going to end all pain, and he's going to start something that's going to be absolutely terrific. Jesus' entrance, as we saw, is announced by this command, this voice, this trumpet. Some say it could be explaining uh, one command from Jesus himself, and each of the phrases has sort of uh, slightly different meanings, but they're all complementary. The loud command brings forth imagery of a lieutenant yelling to his squad of soldiers or, uh, or a, a captain yelling to the rowers on his ship. It's loud, it's authoritative, and it's often in the thick of excitement. The voice like an archangel denotes a, a great voice. And the trumpet has this imagery, this awesome imagery that I love of the king coming into a city, the horns are blaring, Uh, there's pomp, uh, and there's pageantry, throw open the gates, prepare the way, for the Lord himself is coming. That's the truth. He's coming for us. And this is what certainly is in store for all of those who are in Christ. Do you believe it? Do you dwell on it? Do you need to take some time out this week, maybe go down to a park or something and just think, the Lord himself will come. Pain will be no more. There will be hope and we'll be with him finally. It's going to be so good. Do you long for it? Do you think upon it and dwell upon it? Are you comforted by it? Because comfort uh, in this truth, I pray, will lead us to confidence and courage Confidence that when we comfort one another, uh, we we will have certainty in our words. We'll have conviction that it's true. This hope is guaranteed because Christ has died and rose again, and so will we. Nothing in on heaven, uh, in heaven or, or on earth can steal this uh, glorious future from us. This is what will happen uh, to all of us who are in Christ. Verse 17 has this imagery, which I found a bit confusing initially. Uh, it's this imagery of where it says, uh, those who are still alive being caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, when I was younger, uh, our family lived on a ship called uh, the Dulos. It was a missionary ship that went around Southeast Asia. And mum and dad tell the story of that you'd be walking around on the land uh, and the Southeast Asians would love to come up to my brothers and I and just grab our cheeks and like pinch them really hard. Mum and Dad said that uh, the Southeast Asians would get this look in their eye and they would just zone in and they would just approach you like nothing and just try to really grab onto your cheeks and rip them. And Mum and Dad said that they would pick us up and that they'd hold us close and they'd protect our cheeks. And I'm not saying that uh, you need to protect your cheeks in light of the Lord's coming, but instead this imagery that we have in verse 17 uh, where those alive will be caught up They'll be snatched away with suddenness and force. Uh, Whether I wanted to or not, mum and dad were going to pick me up and they were going to hold me close. And so too will the Lord on that day. And as the trumpet uh, that we saw in verse 16 denounced the uh, arrival of the king, so too does this idea of meeting the Lord in the air in verse 17. It implies uh, going out beyond a city and welcoming an important official saying, come in, welcome, we pay you respect, come into our city. Now this verse is not saying that we're going to uh, go into the air and have sort of like that Philadelphia ad, like that, that's not heaven. Um, heaven is going to be us on earth with our king, uh, the earth redeemed, and our bodies redeemed. It'd be such a delight. For in that moment, we will finally be reunited with the Lord. And all those who have died in Christ as well will be reunited together. Finally, those who are asleep will meet together with the Lord and with one another. Grief uh, will be resolved. Uh, Separation eliminated. Connection and intimacy beautifully and eternally begun. Verse 17 says, And forever." We will be with the Lord. What a truth. What a fantastic hope we have when grief uh, surrounds us and seeks to immobilize us. What a refreshing breath of air for the Thessalonians and for us as well today. If you're a Christian here today uh, who is grieving, these truths in this passage tell us that grief is okay. And it will end. Be comforted for our hope is certain, so certain in grief and death. If you're a Christian here today and you're not uh, grieving, can I remind you that there are people here who are probably in the mire, who are in grief and are having long, hard days filled with pain and suffering. Please do not tire of praying for them, uh, sitting with them, encouraging them with these words, this hope that we have. And maybe you're here today uh, and you're still unsure of Christianity. Maybe you don't yet have certainty in death. Well, here is God's word for all of us. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, so too will it be for all who are in him. Friends, in Christ is peace and joy comfort and hope he has risen and he will return and we will be with him forevermore let me pray